If you uh, take a look up on the screen, the church in Ukraine is what we're talking about today. Um, If you didn't know, I mean, Pastor Jerry alluded to it this morning, but this last week, he and I went off to Ukraine to be with and spend some time with our international partners there, the the churches that this church here, Soul Sanctuary, has partnered with. And uh, it was an incredible opportunity, an eye-opening opportunity. And today we're going to kind of uh, download uh, to you some of the things that we learned and some of the lessons that we took home that actually affect us here today in the community of Soul Sanctuary. But before we go any further, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we come to you knowing that you have the power, knowing that you are almighty, knowing that you are a good and just God. And today, um, would you speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord, through your scripture, would you reveal in us our selfishness? Would you reveal in us our flaws? Would you convict our hearts? And Lord, work your process of redemption within us. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, we pray. Amen. And amen. So we left a week ago, Thursday, May 9th, a week and a bit. And uh, we jumped on a plane, headed over. And after, I think it was like 26 hours of travel with all the layovers that we had, we finally got there. And uh, we were able to be picked up at the airport by uh, a pastor in the city that we uh, landed in, and they shipped us off to uh, a church conference where immediately after 26 hours of travel and another couple hours in the car, Pastor Jerry gets up like a zombie and and gives a sermon at a pastor's conference. Now, uh, for those of you who who aren't familiar with our connection uh, to both Russia and Ukraine, allow me to break it down really quick. Uh, For the last number of years, I mean, I want to say upwards of almost 10 years, we've been partnered uh, with the Russian Assemblies of God and the Ukrainian Assemblies of God. And their uh, district superintendent, I guess you could put it like that, their superintendent would be Alexander Prashaga uh, and his wife Elena Prashaga, who have been to here, uh, the Seoul Sanctuary community, have spoken to us a number of times. I actually think Alexander's first sermon he ever delivered in English was here to this community. And uh, so we've had this relationship with them uh, for a a number of years where Pastor Jerry has gone off to Moscow to preach in their school. Uh, We've done collections here, offerings here, where we take money and we ship it back there for the work that they're doing. This is what we would call a mission partnership or relationship, uh, where our community here is partnered with them over there. Now, uh, the Russian and the Ukrainian Assemblies of God, they have about 300 churches uh, all over Russia and Ukraine. On top of that, they have all sorts of youth clubs, social agencies, working with orphans, uh, working with students, uh, drug rehabilitation centers, uh, which we were able to go to this last trip as well. And and just to see the work that they're doing is encouraging. Uh, 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 Our our purpose of our trip was kind of threefold. Uh, The first purpose was actually to bring them money. Uh, On Easter, we took up a collection here and we raised $11,000 for the purchase of a new orphan transition home. So essentially, a a building that is like Soviet-era concrete uh, style that is completely abandoned. It was a restaurant. It's about four stories high. We were able to tour it, walk inside of it. It's an absolute war zone right now. However, 
based on the gifts that this community gave, they were able to purchase it so that when orphans transition out of orphanages, they're not snatched up by human traffickers in the region, but rather they're able to go to this home, which acts as kind of like a a one-year halfway house, if you will. They're college-educated in the home, and then they're transitioned out into the world, and they have a fighting chance for survival. And so we brought them money for this. And it was kind of weird because I was like, why are we carrying cash? You know, like I'm going through airport security being like, oh. and uh, we talked with them on the ground there. And it actually is, is the most beneficial way of transporting money to them because of the bank fees that they get hit with on international money transfers. And so it sounded weird, but I was like, OK, so we made it happen. The second purpose of our trip was to connect with specific pastors. The Soul Sanctuary Internship Program launches this coming September. We already have students who have signed up for a 10-month program uh, where they will be educated through a partnership with Providence University College and Seminary. Uh, In the same respect, they'll be placed here in Soul Sanctuary in different leadership capacities based on their giftings and on their passions. And then finally, these students uh, will participate in mission. So both local, working with our North End Campus Living Word Temple, and then international, working with these guys up here on the screen. And so it was a cool experience as we sat kind of uh, in the the cafe of the church, and we had a meeting in both English and Ukrainian and translating back and forth. As we planned the details of an 18-day trip, taking our Soul Sanctuary interns there to meet needs that can be uniquely met by Canadian English speakers. And it was something that, that was uh, an incredible thing to be a part of as we uh, worked the details out. Uh, also in June, we're sending a team of about seven or eight young adults uh, to an English camp in western Ukraine. Uh, kind of like a pilot project. Just kind of see how it works when we take a team internationally there. And so in the same respect, we were able to plan the English camp alongside of our partners. Now, finally, uh, we went to preach to churches, uh, part of the Assemblies of God in Ukraine. And our days would look like this. We would wake up early. We would get on the road. We would drive all day. At the end of the day, we would arrive in a new city just in time for church. We'd show up to church. We'd preach. We'd go eat a super late dinner, which consisted of like borscht and meat. And that was pretty much it. And then after dinner, we would go find a a hotel room, and then we would wake up early the next morning, and we would do it all over again. And this was the process. We were there to minister. And so they had a pastor's conference for the Western Western Ukrainian pastors. Uh, If you didn't know, Ukraine is a country at war. Uh, They're at war with Russia in the east. I'm not sure if this is online or not, but we'll fix that. Uh, They're at war in the east. And, And so there's billboards that are nationalistic, Uh, The western side of Ukraine is heavily nationalistic and Ukrainian identity. And in the east, there is conflict. I mean, we're driving through the town square and there's, there's tributes to all the soldiers who have been killed in the last month in conflict in the east. And so a lot of stuff that's maybe not reported in our mainstream media, but this is their everyday reality. It was interesting. One of the pastors said, we're a nation at war who doesn't know how to live like a nation at war. There's a bit of an identity crisis That's happening. And so uh, these pastors' conferences brought all the Western Ukrainian pastors together. Pastor Jerry was able to minister to them, uh, to uh, preach and pray. And then as well, I myself had some of those opportunities. And then when we went to around to all these cities in the region, 
all this driving that we did, oh my gosh, never complain about Winnipeg roads again, let me tell you, all right? Don't complain. Uh, it, there's nothing to complain about. I'm driving down yesterday just like ding, 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 in Winnipeg, and I'm like, praise the Lord, you know? Uh, God bless my wife for traveling with me ever. I, I'm a, a terrible traveler. All right? I mean, you can, you can probably hear I'm a little nasally right now. I'm a little sick. I'm a terrible traveler. And I'm telling you, we were in this big van, bumping along. Some of these roads, they were built in the Austrian-Hungary Empire, and they're like 200 years old in brick. And I, I guess, I don't know, you just don't mess with historical things, so everybody just drives 30, and is like, dum, 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 dum. And uh, I didn't have gravel, and anyways. Besides the point. Okay, let's go to the scriptures. Matthew 28. No, we are not in the last chapter of Matthew in the last verses yet, but we are skipping ahead, and we will come back to this in our Matthew series, but this is important. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. It's on the screen for you. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus sent his 11. This is after the resurrection. He sends them on uh, to Galilee. And when they saw Jesus, so Jesus shows up, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In a brief moment, Pastor Jerry is going to come. He's going to teach on this passage. But what he's asked me to do is just to lend you a bit of a fresh perspective on what this community has helped accomplish in Ukraine. I want to make two simple observations and watch two quick videos. The first observation is this. That the way we love an invisible God is by loving a visible neighbor. This is something we teach our students at Wildlife Youth on a regular basis. It's a part of one of our core values, which is saved people, serve people. That the way we love an invisible God is by loving an invisible neighbor. Months in advance, we had received clearance from the federal government in Ukraine to go into a prison in the city of Lutsk. So we got processed in this prison. And when you think of prison, I mean, you might think of news articles that are like, why do prisoners get to watch TV and play Guitar Hero? It's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Soviet-era building that is pure concrete, it's damp, it's cold, there's grime on the floor. It's, quite frankly, absolutely disgusting. And so they process, processed us, punched us in, in traditional Eastern European uh, uh, um, manners, you know, nobody's smiling. It's a place that's just like, it's depressing. I thought to myself, I couldn't imagine being a prisoner here, never mind working here. I couldn't show up here every single day. And so we went in the prison, we met with the warden, the warden toured us around. At one point, the, the, uh, the assistant warden took us into a room, and we were with two local pastors, one, one of them acting as a translator for us. In there, they escorted in a 17-year-old boy. He was 17 years old, had committed heinous acts of violence, which I will not even mention, including murder. 17 years old, he sat across from us, the four of us and him. Our pastor who was translating us had met with this boy on a number of occasions. He said that, that when he first began meeting with this boy, 
five guards would come and sit in the room because he was dangerous. And he asked the guards, I can't, or he told the guards, I can't counsel this boy unless you guys leave. And they made him sign a piece of paper that, that said, if something happens, I will not hold the prison responsible. And so we sat in a room with a 17-year-old. He was just a kid. I thought back to the 17-year-olds in our youth ministry here. For about 20 minutes, we shared with him the gospel of Jesus and the love of Christ. A young boy who had been forgotten by the world. The prisoners are fed on less than $2 a day, which is something that they were trying to tell us as Westerners. They wanted to get their message across to us, part of the reason why they invite us into the prison. That the, the, the conditions here are bad, that we need help. And they do get some outside help, but it's not government help. It's coming from Holland. It's coming from Sweden. Uh, mostly church groups that are coming to help improve conditions for prisoners. So the prisoners are fed on less than $2 a day. Uh, that means that they eat prison-baked bread and just a vat of brothy soup. And this is the regular diet. I think I'm a decently mentally strong person. I'm a terrible traveler, but I'm a decent mentally strong person. But I've never needed to puke because of mental stimuli before until that moment as I was walking through this prison. We met with this 17-year-old boy, and we shared with him the love of Jesus. And it reminded me that the way we love an invisible God is by loving a visible neighbor. By loving those who are without hope. By loving those who are considered unlovable. This is the way that followers of Christ are to impact our world. This is a way that you and I are called to share the good news. Called to live a life in service of Christ. Which means sacrificing our preferences, our desires, what we hold dear for the sake of others. The second observation I want to make is that Jesus is in the business of heart transformation. I want to introduce you to somebody. Um, his name's Volva. When you meet the pastors in the U or in Ukraine, the Ukraine is offensive, by the way. Learn that because uh, it comes out of Soviet era, right, where the Ukraine would be like considered a province of Russia. It's definitely not what they want to be known as now. So Ukraine. Um, because of the fact that, that the Ukrainian assemblies of God have so many rehab centers, oftentimes, and they preach Jesus actively in the rehab centers, people coming out and graduating the, the, the rehabilitation programs, they often will go to Bible school and then become pastors. I want to introduce you to a guy named Volva. He's a leader in a, a newly planted church. We, we preach at the church plant while we were out there on their first Sunday. Take one quick look at this video. Okay. For those of you who didn't catch it, Volva's in the pink. He's one of the church leaders. If you watch really carefully, he quickly slips the guy's wallet out of his pocket, passes it to his other hand, and then the guy recording the video says, hey, do you have some money? Can I borrow some, uh, some money? 
And of course, the guy looks for his wallet, and he can't find his wallet. These are the, these are the pastors, all right? <laughs> these are the local church leaders. They have a couple tricks up their sleeves. I mean, this isn't good fun at a backyard party. But Volva's story, in brief, involves starting shooting hard drugs by the age of seven. His family distributed drugs in their neighborhood. He was a drug addict for the majority of his life. The police burned down his parents' house to rid them from the neighborhood. What they didn't know is that his adult sister was inside of the house. And she died. Volva spent a life of theft, of drugs, of brawling. He bears scars on the side of his head that come right down. I mean, you can't miss them. It's a symbol of his past life. He met Jesus in prison. And seven years after meeting Jesus, he now leads a newly planted church in the city in which he grew up. The streets which he knew. Violence and drugs and brawling. And now he walks those same streets teaching about Jesus. It's a reminder of the life-transforming power of Jesus. Jesus is in the business of transforming our hearts. Whether you're in Eastern Europe or Winnipeg today, Jesus is in the business of transforming you, of making you a new creation, of drawing out the best from you. When we are obedient to Jesus' call to go into all of the world, by the power of his Holy Spirit through us, he affects those around us with change, with transformation, hope, Watch the second video. It's Bova in prison on a smuggled-in cell phone, which apparently they let one of the pastors smuggle on a cell phone. I don't know why. Uh, but it's him sharing his life story with a 17-year-old boy that I mentioned earlier. That I get as a present. And I start to read. And I understand that my life is terrible. And I told God, if you exist, change my life. Today I have a work. I work with my hands. I have a wife. I have two children. I built a house. And the main point, I serve a God. And the main point, I serve God. He's well aware his life transformation hinges on the fact that Christ changed his heart. Um, in our brief time in Ukraine, my eyes were open to the importance of our partnership outside of our four walls. Like I said, we toured the building that will serve as, as a transition house for orphans. That we raised $11,000 to help them purchase. One of the pastors mentioned to us that because of this house, they'll have a fighting chance. 
And so my quick observations are simple. For you and I, a simple takeaway, the way we love an invisible God is by loving a visible neighbor, no matter what they look like, no matter what their lot in life is. And then finally, that Jesus is in the business of heart transformation, which leads to life transformation, which changes those that we might even write off ourselves. Pastor Jerry. Jordan, you traveled well. You're just not used to the craziness of going into Eastern Europe and doing what they do. But he did well. And also we stopped at a gas station and because we were in a Russian vehicle and we were in a nationalistic Ukraine, somebody actually loosened the lug nuts on one of our tires. I kid you not, we couldn't figure out what was going on for about an hour until we pulled over to the side of the road and realized that's the culture that you're in. So you have to ask the question, what's the main occupation? What's the main job? What's the main business of the church? A lot of people don't like mixing the word business and church together, but I want to throw that out, you, out there to you. As a matter of fact, some people would say that the main uh, occupation, job, business of the church is to take care of its members, right? The church is here to visit the sick, right? To pray with them, to take care of people at different trans, uh, transitions in life, whether it's birth or uh, marriage or death. Some would say that the church is here to provide guidance and comfort uh, for people at important times. And, and no doubt, these are all functions of the church. However, I would argue that these functions are not the main, and I'm going to use this word, business of the church. We're always in danger of slipping into a maintenance mentality in the church, where we focus on maintaining what we have, and we forget about those around us who actually don't know Jesus. We oftentimes think that the church itself is here for us. We forget that we are the church. And that we're here for a lost world, a world that doesn't know who Jesus is. Oswald Smith said, the mission of the church is missions. One of my favorite authors is Leslie Newbigin. He wrote a book that uh, was actually very instrumental in my dissertation of Rethinking Church for Emerging Generation. It's called The Gospel in the Pluralistic Society. Newbigin says this, missions begins with the kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive and something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is like a fallout from a vast explosion. A radioactive fallout, which is not lethal, but life-giving. The safety-obsessed church lacks the inner dynamic to foster a profound missional impact in our time. I'm afraid that we have, here in the West specifically, I'm afraid that we are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves. It's all about me. When the central message of Christianity is actually, when we study the teachings of Christ, is abandoning ourselves. Emil Brunner wrote, he said, The church exists by mission, just as fire exists by burning. Where there is no mission, there is no church. Where there is neither church nor mission, there is no faith. I think it was Francis Chan who actually said that you can do more with 12 disciples than what you can do with 1,200 religious consumers. Powerful statements. 
And I think when any church loses the spirit of the Great Commission, it surrenders the very reason for its existence. The business of the church is to tell and embody a story. Did you hear that? That was Newbigin who said that. The business of a church is to tell and embody a story. God is a missionary God. The Bible, when we look at it, is a missionary book. The gospel is a missionary message. The church is a missionary institution. When the church ceases to be missionary-minded, it has betrayed its trust. And essentially, the church has many responsibilities, but we only have one mission, and that is the evangelism of all nations. Newbegin said that the church, wherever it is, is not only Christ's witness to its own people and nation, but the home base for our missions to the end of the earth. It's not so much that the church has a mission, it's the mission of God has a church. And we as believers, when we hear the word missions... We often think, well, you know, that means selling everything, moving to another country, learning the language and uh, maybe living in a grass hut, right? Something along that lines, you know, but the whole idea of in order to relocate our lives, our families across the globe. And I give a shout out to Marie and Shauna at this point in time. In case you don't know, Shauna stepped down from her children's ministry position and they're off to another nation. They're in this process. And a thank you to all those who showed up last Saturday to support them and hear what they're up to. But in reality, when we say the word missions, we usually aren't talking about, you know, anything about that large, that large scale. We're often talking about short-term mission trips, like what Jordan and I participated today. A week or two out of the year where we go to maybe some sort of unfamiliar place to participate in the mission of God. And, and you know, when I found out we were preaching, a number of thoughts were running through my mind. And one of them was, I have to say this. And the person doesn't attend Seoul anymore, so I don't mind saying it. When we set up our plans to bring in uh, Syrian families... And, you know, I put the call out there and people responded to the call and that those people who responded to the call formed together as a group and were responsible and they were led by Beatrice and Steve. And I say thank you and shout out to you for for everything that you've done and all the people that I haven't made that were a part of that team and to bring in the number of people that we did, the three families that we did. By the way, the first family that came in, he's now started a Syrian restaurant. Where is it up in? Is it Transcona? And it's called Maggie's, right? M-A-G-G-I-E-S. Go visit Eden. He's, got, he's living his dream. He's living the Canadian dream now. But that's because we did this. I'll never forget somebody pulled me aside and was furious that we were bringing Syrians into the country. What about me, he said. Gosh, what about you? But that's the mentality of the church. Of some in the church. What about me? Why don't you guys give me the money? I've also had conversations with people about the usefulness of short-term missions. It's been called a waste of time. It's called a burden uh, to the long-term missionaries. You're nothing but a pain to the missionaries on the other side of the, the world. I, I have to say I'm passionate because I've experienced what we would call short-term missions and i would definitely stand against any naysayer here i realize that there are problems i get that but i think we have 
can easily defy the naysayers that are out there by investing in local churches and allowing short-term missions to propel us into missional living. These trips can be encouraging and beneficial, not just to the ones who go, but also to the ones who receive them. It's not just something that's burdensome. These short-term missions allow us to experience what a life of vocational ministry or missions look like. We are moved. We are astounded by what these other pastors do. We're traveling in the van. Jordan gets an info. Oh, by the way, such and such pastor, friend, acquaintance of his, stepping down from ministries, experiencing burnout. Jordan asks Alexander, Alexander, do you have this, this issue of burnout with your pastors? Burnout. What is burnout? In essence, that's what he said. No. No. These short-term times, these, these things that we can do as a church help us recognize a specific calling that God is drawing us towards. Gives us opportunities, most importantly, to encourage the local churches and the pastors in the area. And it helps us propel missional living when we get back here. We've witnessed firsthand, especially when our hosts look at us. They shake our hands and in a moment of private. They say, thank you for coming and encouraging us. Another one said, nobody comes to us. Not many people come here. And now they realize that they're not alone, but that there's a connection on the other side of the world. That's what I wear on my hand. Oh, you got nice jewelry. No, I don't. No, they drive me absolutely crazy. These are called my prayer bracelets. This one here specifically always comes undone. It's been broken about four or five times. It drives me absolutely bank bonkers. But I know about it all the time because it was the pastor of Chervenitsi, Pastor Eugene, his picture was up there. He bought it for me in the town of Lviv, which is Pastor Igor's church. And so... I pray for Chevronitsi and Lviv all the time. I'm reminded all the time. I'm reminded about Moscow all the time. I'm reminded about Indonesia all the time. There are times that we're reminded to pray. And when I can go over there and I can say, I pray for you guys. They know that they're not alone. You know, when we consider missions with actually the proper motivation... We aren't seeking praise and glory for ourselves. It's not about us. But rather, it's giving praise and glory to God. It's what He deserves. God doesn't define missions as selling everything and moving across the globe. Missions is how His name is proclaimed. And it's God's desire that all people come to Him. God is a missional God. He is declaring His glory to every nation. He just calls us to join Him. He uses the local church. That's His primary means of making disciples of all the nations. When you think about it, God calls us to missional living everywhere, all the time. It doesn't matter where you're. Not just on a missions trip, because missions is never about us. It's about God. Jesus said, as we heard in Matthew 28, Go and make disciples. By, you know, making disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching people the word of Christ and then enabling them to do the same thing in other people's lives. That's the plan that God actually has for each of us to impact the nations for the glory of Christ. And I'll say this, a church that is not focused on the world is a church that is not founded on the word. Church has to be the incubator for missions. 
The local church, Soul Sanctuary, is the place where missionaries are born. It's an incubator for missions. Missions was done, it's, it's to be done out of the local church. It's to be based from a local church. I get na- nervous when, about ministries that aren't driven out and sponsored by a local church. When people are just on their own. When God was about to launch that first great missionary movement through one of his apostles, in fact, through the, the man who would be the greatest of all apostles, he did so based out of a local church. We see that in the book of Acts, that the local church was God's starting point, and it needs to be our starting point. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, it says, In Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menanin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. If any church is going to be an incubator for missions, missionaries and missions, they got to recognize the pleasure of God in saving people. When we read this passage from every tribe and every tongue, every people and every nation, it's broken down right in front of us and maybe we don't even see that. Antioch there was very diverse. Barnabas was a well-to-do Levite, a Jew from Cyprus. Simon, that name Niger means black. So most scholars actually presume that this gentleman was black. There was certainly no race distinction that we see here. Lucius of Cyrene, which is an ancient city in North Africa. Mananen, again, was brought up with Herod, who stole Herodias from her husband, who murdered John the Baptist. This guy was messed up in a family that was messed up. And of course, there was Saul, who we know as Paul. There were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were wealthy, there were common. They're all chosen. They were all controlled by the Spirit of God. And what strikes me about verse 1 here is how God can work through all different types of people. you got different backgrounds, different cultures, different identities, and God is working through these guys, and as last Sunday, through gals. You enjoy Marty? Is it a little too American for you? I listened to him while I was in the Ukraine as well. But he nailed it. In this church, there was unity in character. If you look at verse 2, you can see what these people were doing. They were ministered to the Lord. They were fasting. They were praying. They were spiritual. They were sincere. They, they just wanted to do God's business. That's all they really cared about. And I found out the hard way that, you know what? If we don't disciple people, and that's why I'm so thrilled that Jordan and his team is, is running this internship program. If we don't disciple people, the culture will. You can quote me. If we don't, the church, disciple people, Disciple our next generation, the culture will. We as a church have an obligation to our young people, and that's why I'm excited about this program. And I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit, without His guidance or anything like like that. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this on my own power, because I can't. I want to live in such a way that I'm desperate for Him to show up, for God to show up. To make an influence in the world in which he places. And if he doesn't come through, well then I'm actually screwed when you actually think about it. We need God in that way in our life. We also need to notice that the Holy Spirit is the initiator of missions. The Spirit 
issued the call for these missionaries. The Holy Spirit speaks. In other words, are we listening? Are we taking that time to listen to what God has to say? He's not some impersonal force, but rather he's a person who's fully God and, and the one who, as God, is the divine initiator. There was a very selective calling. He called Barnabas and he called Paul. We were in the town of, uh, gosh, I can't even remember, Chervenitsi. I had a conversation one-on-one -on -one with a Buddhist. Part of a unit comes from India, comes to from India to the Ukraine. So speaks Punjabi, comes to the Ukraine to study in English. And they were so thrilled that people came. But they had 35 people at that church from India in their Alpha program. 35. Came from Chennai, by the way. Just thought I'd let you know. 35. This guy comes. He's not a believer yet. He starts asking questions. He starts talking. He starts talking about what's going on inside. I come down to the final thing. I go, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. He says, I've never heard it like that before. Now it begins to make sense. I pray for Sahir all the time now. That God begins to work and begins to show himself. That the Holy Spirit is the one who is the initiator and begins to move. The Holy Spirit speaks. He's the one who's calling. And when we look at Barnabas and Paul, there was a distinctive call there. The call's not for everyone. I'm not expecting anybody here to say, oh, I'm going. But listen, it's worth our attention to note that the call came when they were ministering, when they were in prayer, when they were in fasting. You know, when God looks for a man or a woman for ministry, he looks for those who are already serving. They're already doing something. The word ministering means that they were serving. Humble servants are the kind of people that God wants to use. God does not dust off the people who haven't been doing anything. He uses the ones who are in the middle of it. And you notice there's a specific calling. Scripture says, to the work which I have called them. That service was already being made before it was even announced. You know, they didn't sit around and choose their own field. God had a specific work called for them to do. We go back to Ephesians where we are created to what? Do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. All of us. I think that's exciting. Just as God doesn't just call anyone. He didn't call them to do just anything. He had a certain work in mind and he called them into his service. And the fact that God's calling, and I believe it's beautiful, is selective and specific. It's actually very encouraging for all of us because it reaffirms how personal, how personal his map is for each and every one of us. And thirdly, believers in the church are investors in missions. You know, the sending of missionaries is church-centered, church-supplied. We see later it's even church-supervised. The Great Commission is a call. It's a command to every believer. If you're a believer today, that's our command. Every believer is to be a part of the gospel being preached unto all nations and to every creature. But how is this possible? Jesus told us to go into all the world. So everybody's got to do their part somehow. And I believe that missions involves four components. You know, if we were to reach the world for Christ, right? We need to win them, baptize them. We need to teach them. So the first component is that somebody's got to go. If we're going to reach the world for Christ, somebody's got to go. And where do we go? Well, into the world. That can be next door, people. That can be across the street. That can be in your workplace, in your school. It could be your city. It could be your province. It could be our nation. And according to Acts 1-8, it could be the whole world. 
So then who goes? Who? As believers, if we take the words of Christ seriously, we are all called to proclaim the name of Jesus to those God has placed around us. The specific place, the people, the time frame you find yourself is a unique calling. God will intentionally call some people to go to the other side of the globe to share the good news of Jesus while simultaneously call uh, others to stay where they are and to be rooted in proclaiming Christ to those with similar backgrounds and jobs and families just like themselves. Some people are drawn, as I said earlier, towards refugees. Others are going to be drawn towards students or children Some will be drawn to people who are currently serving other faiths like Muslims or Hindus or whoever. But the overall calling is the same to all believers. We're all called to proclaim Christ. So whether we go right next door or whether we go around the world, when we proclaim the name of Jesus, we are actually participating in his mission. And mission shouldn't be defined by the length of the trip or the distance of the flight, but it has to be a daily lifestyle that we lean into because of Christ's call in our lives and the fact that we declare him as king and we even do it in our songs. Let's do it in our lifestyle. Number two, somebody has to do the sending. And I think that that's the responsibility of the church and the Holy Spirit. We have to do the sending. The internship program. Get, you know, I'm not saying that you're going to go through that and come out and, oh, you're going to be a missionary. It's quite possible. I don't know. But I think the idea of discipleship is huge. We need to get back to it in our Western culture. Somebody has to send. So we as a church have to take on that responsibility. And I thank you for your generosity to be able to, as Jordan said, here we are, we're carrying money. We were so quick to get it out of our pack and get into somebody else's hands. Because, and then to see what they're going to do with it. And why? Because it's the generosity of the people of this church. Because somebody has to give. Somebody has to give. 2 Corinthians 8 says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst, now this, the church was struggling, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this experience service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us as well. And so we urged Titus, just as he had early made the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. This church was struggling, and they still gave for the work. Look, not everybody is called to go to a foreign mission field. Yet every believer, I believe, can actually partner with those who are called by making contributions that actually enable that missionary to go. To put it very simple, if you're not called to actually go to a mission field, then don't go. But we are also called to give and to support as a church. And so I ask, is your wallet open? I'm not taking up an offering today. I'm just asking you. You're going to hear Russ talking about missions up and coming. As Jordan said earlier, we have a team that we're going to this English camp. They're already excited. They're already prepped. We watched in the town of Rivna where we did the church plant. What would you say? 150, 200 people were there for that opening gathering. Openings, like, and the place was packed. But prior to that, there were a huge family uh, uh, festival happening in the inner city. And we met with the deputy mayor and we'd had an incredible conversation. The doors were just open for us. I couldn't believe it. 
And then one of the things they did is they had people draw and they had some sort of question answer game thing going on. And people were winning um, a free experience to send their kid to this English camp. And of course, everybody, like, everybody's told up front what it's all about. It's run by Christians. You're going to be, Christians are coming. They're going to talk. They're going to talk about faith. They're going to use Bible stories. But you're going to be learning English. That's the whole purpose of what they're doing. So it's not a, you know, a, um, you know, it's not a, a, they're not switching the lures or anything. It's very upfront, very focused. But not everybody's called. But is your wallet open? You know? Are you giving so that those who God has called can go? I sat back and I thought, you know, I look at what we have done in our church and where we are globally in regards to missions. Who's going to Africa or who's in Africa because you give? You know, who's in Eastern Europe because of you? Who's in Asia because of you? Is there some missionary in the field today actually saying, I'm here because of so-and-so in Winnipeg, Manitoba? And finally, somebody has to pray. In Thessalonians, Paul says, pray for us. In Philippians, we're encouraged to pray specifically. We're to pray consistently in Luke. Pray fervently in James. Pray faithfully according to Matthew. So where do we, what are we to pray for? We're supposed to pray really for two things. First of all, that the word and the message of the gospel is preached. First and foremost. The second one is protection. Like I said earlier, which we found from those who oppose the gospel protection. These believers not only opened their walls for others, but they also offered their prayers for them. You know, who is going to the mission field on your giving and on your praying? One of the most significant points is that it was the local church who sent the early missionaries out. Barnabas and Paul will later return to the church at Antioch and report to the church, if you read in Acts chapter 14. They come back to the church and they, they report about their missionary journey. Why? Because they were sent out by the church. And that's why Jordan and I are speaking today. We have so many more stories to tell that the time doesn't do it, but we'll gladly sit down and just inform you. We're a little bit jet-lagged and fogged out, but that, you know, I'm pretty sure we can put it together. If the business of the church is not about God's business, the church has no business being in business. Leslie Newbegin also said that the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious en enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. Every Christian, every Christian, you're a believer here this morning, every Christian, within this local church, is personally and actively involved in Christ's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Think about that. There is no such thing as an unsent Christian. You've already been sent, people. The point of your life, wherever you find yourself, is to point others to him. Whatever you're doing, God wants to be glorified because this whole thing is His. Ellen Hirsch wrote, A missional theology applies to the whole 
of life of every believer. Every disciple is to be an agent of the kingdom of God. And every disciple is to carry the mission of God into every sphere of life. We are all missionaries sent into a non-Christian culture. I had a lot of hard words when I was penning this. And I don't want this to be hard, but I want to share truth. And sometimes truth comes across as hard. I would hope that as you walk out of here today in a few moments, that you walk out encouraged, knowing that you enabled two goofballs to go across and to do the best we could, feeling as inadequate as we were, standing and getting translated and trying to commit, communicate a message but couldn't be there without your prayers, couldn't be there without your finances and your giving, couldn't be there without your support and believing in us. But there's still an aspect of truth and that if God wills the evangelization of the world and you refuse to support missions, then you are directly opposed to the will of God. The supreme task of the church is the evangelization of the world. Christ alone can save the world, but Christ cannot save the world alone. I don't know where I heard that. I don't know where I got it. It's not mine, but it's powerful. That you and I are a part of, are we a part of the problem or are we a part of the solution? Are we willing to, to get the gospel into some area of the world where Christ has not been preached or where those who are currently there just need a little bit of a booster shot? Coca-Cola is everywhere when you travel the world. How does it get there? I think it's their motto that's displayed in the company headquarters. Think globally, act locally. We have to be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Disciple making is not a call for others to, to come to us to hear the gospel, but a command for us to go to others and share the gospel. Missions exist the same reason that you and I exist. It exists for the glory of God, to make his name known, to declare his excellencies to others. And so ask the Lord to give you today a heart for the nations and to show you just even how to live missionally here at home. If he wants you, to go on a short-term missions trip to encourage believers. Maybe you need to ask them. Maybe some people need to see his name proclaimed. It was funny because I got billed as a hockey player because when they, were, they follow my Facebook and Instagram, they see all my stupid hockey posts. At one point, he's a professional hockey player. I had to go, no, I'm not. I'm not professional. But it didn't matter. We were in the Ukraine. To them, I was professional. So one of the guys in the city of Lutsk, his wife's a believer. Him, we're not so much sure. He finds out hockey player come to speak. Hockey player is pastor. Couldn't put it together. Came to hear us share came again when we went to Rivna to do the church plant, to hear the gospel very clearly. Looked at me and said, can you bring, can you bring uh, some hockey players? 
We'd love to play hockey. We could do a world thing. We, could, we have people, other teams coming in from Lviv and other areas. We would love to have you come and bring hockey. And, and our hosts are listening to this conversation. And when the conversation, of course, I'm going, oh, that'd be fun. That'd be exciting. What it would look like? You know, yeah, I'm, my mind's already going, oh, this would be a hoot. But until you get to the conversation of influence within the community, and of course, the guys that this guy is involved, again, non-believers, but very influential in the city of Lutsk. They won't walk into a normal church, but they'll talk to a bunch of believers who are playing hockey. We must become all things to all men so that we might save some. Hockey. Would it be so far-fetched that Soul Sanctuary sent five or ten people over to play hockey for three days, but with the whole intent in that process that each five or ten of those people would actually have an opportunity to share their faith? Just to see maybe, just maybe, that one would come to faith and that one person would be a in a position of influence within that nation. As you leave this place today, go with the obedience in the direction that God has called you to go. Whether you feel that you're called to something short-term, whether you feel like Murray and Shauna, you're called to something long-term across the globe, whether you feel like you're called to your neighbor across the street or to your community and area, your city, maybe it's somewhere in the province, maybe it's an ethnic group, maybe it's a cultural group, whatever it is, we should all be on a lifelong mission with the one purpose, which is expanding the body of Christ. I thank you for your generosity. I thank you for your prayers. Now I ask that you would be obedient. Be obedient to the scriptures. To the teachings of our Lord and Savior. To go into all the world. What's your world? Well, I'm not really perfect. That's fine. You don't need to be perfect. We got this internship program. <laughs> we have school of ministry. We have life groups. I think, you know, it's interesting that God's not expecting any perfection. He's just expecting us as we are. Let's just take that step. Stand with me. Psalm 96. I read this earlier. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised for he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord has made the heavens, the splendor and the majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his, and I love this word, sanctuary. So who will you be today, people? Will you be the one to go? Will you be the one to send? Will you be the one to pray or will you be the one to give? And as I look back in time, I thank you for every sign of grace, Father God. For every life that has been transformed. For every broken life healed. Lord, I, 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 for every lost person who is found. Every far off brought near. Every sinner saved. Lord, it's all about you. 
what we do is all about your grace. It's about your love. It's about your mercy. It's about your glory. And only you can make a difference to every life. And so, Lord, I pray for a greater love for the lost, for those who need Jesus. I pray for a greater and deeper compassion for those who are broken, a stronger faith in your saving power, a bolder witness in your presence, a believing that the kingdom, your kingdom here is advancing on earth. So help your church, God, rise up and seize the day today, believing that there are there are no go areas for you, Lord. No people that cannot be reached. No chains that cannot be broken. And so, Lord, send us forward today longing for your presence. Longing for your glory to fall fresh in this place. Igniting us with an unquenchable fire. And bringing light and hope and love wherever you send us. In the name of Jesus and those who agreed said amen. So sanctuary in ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did it likewise. So here it is. Soul, let's not just stand here gazing into heaven. Instead, let's take up the mission that Jesus left us. To bring justice to the oppressed. Food to the hungry. To care for the widow. To care for the orphan. To share the abundant life that Jesus offers the world around us until he comes again. And may the love of God and may the grace of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit encourage and strengthen you as you go. Amen. Now go and live the church.